Turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. Three. <clears throat> Not very often that we have a single verse sermon text, but we've got one today. This is the word of the Lord. Listen, I'll read the uh, first two verses, which are introductory to the Ten Commandments and to the first one. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Amen. Pray with me. O Lord, we thank you that you alone are the true God, the living God and our God. And we thank you that, Lord, there are implications to that, that you are the true and the living and the only God. And we pray that as we look at this uh, first commandment of the ten, uh, that we would see uh, how... Uh, how we can grow in holiness, how we can grow in consistency in our worship of you, our service to you, our loyalty to you. Would you please speak to us now? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Kids, um, I don't know how many pets you all have. I can't remember how many pets do you all have. Numerous pets. Okay. Okay, a lot of pets. Okay, well we have, we have two pets in our house. We have a doggy. Her name is Mossy, and we have a, a, a cat, and his name is well. He goes by a number of things, but uh, um, uh, help me, girls. Uh, Plumpy. I just I wanted to call him something else, which I call him, but anyway, uh, Plumpy. Yes. <laughs> And these cats, these, these, these animals rather, uh, our animals, get along well for the most part. They get along well. They really like each other most of the time. Um, but once in a while they don't. And I'm going to explain the situation where they don't. Oftentimes, if I am sitting in the backyard, the, the, my cat, uh, Plumpy, will jump into my lap. And the dog, who is also in the backyard, will maybe sitting over sunning herself or something, and she'll see the cat jump into my lap, and I'm scratching the cat, and the cat is purring. And the dog will get up and doesn't like, clearly doesn't like the fact that I'm giving attention to the cat. And the dog will come and stick his nose between my hand and the cat and go like this to get me to stop petting the cat and start petting her. Uh, what's going on there is the cat is um, jealous. That's a that's the word that describes it. Jealous of the uh, the dog rather is jealous of the attention that the kitty is getting from Pastor Mark, and the the dog wants that attention herself from me. 
and wants it not to go to the cat. That's the dog being jealous of the cat. I bring this up to you because this passage uh, that we're looking at today, uh, especially the first uh, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. The reason we're not to have other gods before God is because he is a jealous God. He's kind of, uh, and I don't want to compare him to my dog, but uh, the way the dog is jealous of the cat, when I'm giving attention to the cat, the dog wants that attention. God wants our love and our attention and doesn't want us to give that to any other God or somebody or something that's posing as a God in our life. God wants all that attention himself. And he, unlike my dog, doesn't. he deserves it. He deserves all my love. He deserves all your love, all your service, and your commitment. Uh, we can't split that with any other God that might be uh, that we might tempt to have in our be tempted to have in our lives, and that's what this passage is about. So we're going to look at it. Um, as I already indicated to you, children, uh, God is a jealous God. Anybody who's picked up their Bibles, uh, spent any time in the Bible, knows this is the case. It's a spiritual truth that is affirmed by uh, Moses in Exodus 34, verses 13 and 14, that uh, passage that we often hear read. Um, actually, no, this isn't the passage I was thinking of, but it is also fairly regularly uh, said. This is uh, starting in verse 13 of Exodus 34, but rather... You are to tear down their altars. And he's talking here about the altars of the Canaanites in the land. But rather, you are to tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and cut down their asherim. For you shall not worship any other god. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. There we have it. God is a jealous god. The fact that he is a jealous God is also explicitly stated in the next commandment that we're going to look at next time uh, we are in the next time we have an evening service. But in the second commandment, uh, it's also explicitly stated there that God is a jealous God, and this is a spiritual truth that is clearly hinted at in the words of uh, the first commandment that we're looking at today: "You shall have no other gods before me." That's pointing to God's jealousy. Those words before me there in this commandment. And so we're going to, we're going to unpack this and talk about how it relates to us in the 21st century. So, two points. Uh, first, because the Lord, uh, before, because God is a jealous God or the Lord is a jealous God, He forbids you and me to love and serve other gods. Straightforward enough. But secondly, uh, by implication, because God is a jealous God, he requires you and me to love and serve him alone. So first, because the Lord is a jealous God, he forbids you and me to love and serve other gods. First, let's talk about what, it, what constitutes serving another god. Uh, another god is anyone or anything uh, it could be an inanimate object that takes greater a greater chunk of our time, energy, resources, affections, and um, uh, loyalty than the God of the Bible does. Whenever uh, such um, things uh, belong to something else other than God more than they do to God, uh, we have another God in our lives 
who uh, we have we put in front of the Lord God before, if you will, the Lord God. Sometimes the false gods that you and I are tempted to figuratively bow down to, uh, seldom uh, nowadays do people literally bow down to gods, but uh, false gods that we're tempted to figuratively bow down to, a lot uh, sometimes they're external to ourselves. A lot of times, in the fact, they're external to ourselves. So another person. Uh, it could be uh, one of our children. It could be our spouse. It could be our grandchildren or our, uh, a close friend or a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Um, it could be an employer even that we tend to, uh, would be somebody outside of ourselves that we might uh, give God-like status to by the way that we treat him or her or it. It can also be uh, possessions that are external to ourselves, our house, our, uh, our uh, cars, uh, jewelry and money and the like. It could also be a job, uh, people who uh, their job is their life. Uh, that's an example of somebody who is probably uh, an idolater of his job. Uh, a hobby can become uh, an idol for us. So too can a, uh, uh, a lifestyle, a certain lifestyle that we've grown accustomed to and, and that we just, uh, we don't want anything other than that lifestyle. That's it. And, and if, if anything goes out of the bounds of my schedule, then, uh, then uh, I'm going to be furious. And, and brought uh, to sin, uh, sinful response. A form of entertainment or recreation can be a, um, a, a, an idol, the television, the internet, um, Netflix, etc. Sometimes the false gods that we are tempted to love and serve are within ourselves. A lust for sex, a lust for food, a lust for sleep, a lust for being amused and entertained. I call all those lusts because lust uh, is supposed to have negative connotations and that's why I'm using the word. Um, a goal, a life goal, even a bucket list could be a, uh, a god to somebody. Uh, an ambition. I, I, I'm, I'm determined that I am going to come what may. I'm going to, whatever, do this. I'm going to live my life this way. I'm going to have this career, regardless of what the Bible says. But in the end, all of these gods. Uh, that I've mentioned, both external to ourselves and internal to ourselves and others that I haven't mentioned, they're all ultimately idols of the heart. Um, idols of the heart are described, uh, uh, spoken of explicitly by uh, Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 14, he uses wording that uh, is of a, uh, that is reminis- reminiscent of this. He says in Luke 14, not Luke, Uh, Ezekiel 14, verse 3, I'll read through verse 5. Son of man, these men, and he's talking here about, by the way, the elders of Israel, interestingly, these uh, these men have set up their idols in their hearts and have put right before their faces the stumbling block of their iniquity. Should I be consulted by them at all? Therefore speak to them and tell them, thus says the Lord God, any man of the house of Israel who sets up his idol in his heart, his idols rather, in his heart, puts right before his face the stumbling block of his iniquity and then comes to the prophet 
if any man does that, I believe that's how it's supposed to go, I, the Lord, will be brought to give him an answer in the matter in view of the multitude of his idols, in order to lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel, who are estranged from me through all their idols. Idols, all idols, are ultimately uh, worshipped from our hearts, of whatever uh, whatever uh, kind of idol it might be. And in the end, all of these gods are just fronts, if I can put it that way, for the real object of our love and our service, and that's ourselves. We, whenever we choose some object or person outside of ourselves or within ourselves, doesn't matter, uh, to worship, we are worshiping ourselves. We are worshiping what we want. What false gods are you most tempted to bow down to in your life? We've all got them. We've all got them. What's yours? But can't we love and serve the Lord, uh, the God of the Bible, plus one or two other gods? Is that really all such a terrible thing? Yeah, I know. It is kind of laughable. (laughs) It is a question, however, that many uh, professing Christians have answered in the affirmative. Yes, we can do that. They might not put it quite in those words. But in effect, they have said, yes, we can both bow down to uh, our jobs and Jesus. Or we can both bow down to our libido and the Lord. Or we can both bow down to our ego and Elohim. Notice the alliteration there. But is this really an option? A real option that's available to a true Christian? No, of course it's not. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. There, mammon alludes to or speaks of riches, but that that could apply to any other God. That's from Matthew 6, 24, by the way. What are we doing when we love and serve other gods? What is the person who says they're a Christian but who's doing that doing? Well, he's doing uh, at least three things. First, he is committing spiritual adultery. The Bible more than once portrays God as a husband, and we, his people, are described as his bride. Uh, This is seen in Jeremiah 31-32. It's also seen in Isaiah 54, verses 5 and 6. I'll read the Isaiah passage. Isaiah 54, starting in verse 5. For your husband is your maker. Speaking to Israel, of course. For your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts. And your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the Lord, the God of all the earth. For the Lord has called you like a wife, forsaken and grieved in spirit, even like a wife of one's youth when she is rejected, says the Lord. Clear picture of the church as the bride of Christ. We are married, and now now I'm speaking of individuals within the church, because it applies both collectively and individually, the uh, husband-wife uh, or bride uh, uh, analogy. But uh, we, are, um, we are married, if you will, to the Lord, when we enter into uh, the covenant of grace with him through Christ, 
through our faith in Christ. That is, if you will, when the, the, the marriage comes into being between us and the Lord. God promised in this gracious covenant to be a loving and faithful husband to us, and we committed uh, in that covenant to be a faithful and loving spouse to him. God, of course, always, always, uh, is always faithful to keep his covenant promises. But you and I are not, as sinners, we have a strong and persistent tendency that's waning over time, praise the Lord for it, but it's still there and it's pretty strong, and a tendency to wander away from our husband in our hearts. I was in Norway a number of years back, uh, and I stopped. Uh, we were visiting a very, very old church in a very out-of-the-way place, beautiful little valley with this ancient church, uh, seven or eight hundred years old, I believe, um, out in the middle of nowhere. And I remember as I was approaching that church, uh, watching this shepherd uh, tending, and his sons, and they were tending sheep. And there were, there were, uh, uh, gr- there was grass on either side of this small, narrow road that I was driving down to get to this church. Uh, and they were herding a, probably about a hundred sheep, I'm going to guess. Quite a few sheep from one field of grass to another. And they were trying to keep all the sheep together in one group, but couldn't. I just kind of watched in amusement as they, uh, as the sheep kept straying. Um, and, and, uh, all of those sheep would have strayed permanently had the shepherd not constantly been on them to get back into the group. Um, you and I are just like those sheep folks. And we're kidding ourselves if we think otherwise. Spiritually speaking, we are sheep. We tend to wander. Um, and as we mature, praise the Lord again, that wandering happens somewhat less frequently, but don't ever think that it's going to go away because it's not. Whenever we flirt with or pursue another god, uh, out external to ourselves or internal with our, to ourselves, if we do that even briefly, we are breaking our, if I can put it this way, our marriage vows, and we are committing spiritual adultery against our husband, the Lord. The despicable nature of such adultery is nowhere more evident than in the Lord's own graphic illustration of Jerusalem's spiritual unfaithfulness to him which we read in Ezekiel 16. I hesitate to read this, but it is scripture, so I'm going to. Ezekiel 16, verses 23 and following. I'll read to verse 30, and then I'll jump to verse 32. Then it came about after all your wickedness. Woe, woe to you, declares the Lord God that you built yourself a shrine and made yourself a high place in every square. You built yourself a high place at the top of every street and made your beauty abominable. And you spread your legs to every passerby to multiply your harlotry. You also played the harlot with the Egyptians, your lustful neighbors, and multiplied your harlotry to make me angry. 
Behold, now I have stretched out my hand against you and diminished your rations. And I delivered you up to the desire of those who hate you, the daughters of the Philistines, who are ashamed of your lewd conduct. Moreover, you play the harlot with the Assyrians because you were not satisfied. You even played the harlot with them and still were not satisfied. You also multiplied your harlotry with the land of merchants, Chaldea. Yet even with this, you were not satisfied. How languishing is your heart, declares the Lord your God, while you do all these things, the actions of a bold-faced harlot. Then verse 32, you adulterous wife who takes strangers instead of her husband. It's rough. It's rough. But it's exactly what's going on when we wander from the Lord and become, if you will, uh, spiritual adulterers by doing so. We also not only commit spiritual adultery when we love and serve other gods, we are also grieving the heart of our faithful and loving husband. Over in Ezekiel 6, verse 9, uh, we read of the grief of God when we sin. Then those of you who escape will remember me among the nations to which I will be carried captive. Let me start over. Then those of you who escape will remember me among the nations to which they will be carried captive. How I have been hurt by their adulterous hearts which turned away from me and by their eyes which played the harlot after their idols. The Lord is hurt, grieved when we act this way. You married people in this room, or those of you that have been married, think how hurt you would be or were if that happened to you, uh, God forbid, but uh, if you found out that your spouse was being unfaithful to you. We need to keep that in mind, that that's exactly the way God feels. I'm going to use that with air quotes there, but feels when you and I are unfaithful to him. And unlike ourselves, he always knows when we're unfaithful. And thirdly, what we're doing when we love and serve other gods other than him is we are endangering endangering the well-being of our own soul. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 16 and 17 makes this point eloquently. Again, Deuteronomy 11, starting in verse 16. Beware lest your hearts be deceived and you turn away and serve other gods and worship them. Or the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain, and the ground will not yield its fruit, and you will perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. Now there he is speaking of physical perishing, but of course um, it's indicative of spiritual perishing as well that will occur also uh, when the last breath is taken by those who have done this. We need to remember God's hatred of idolatry and the anger that he feels when, and the jealousy that he feels when we, his bride, turn our back on him by embracing sin that we want to embrace, which is another God. We need to keep that in mind. You need to keep that in mind 
next time you are tempted to engage in some sin that you know grieves the heart of God, whether it's neglecting your time with God in prayer and Bible study, failing to properly observe the Lord's Day, refusing to forgive somebody who you should forgive, tempting to be tempted to be lazy uh, when you should be um, diligent and work, uh, when you're tempted to disobey your parents, uh, when you're tempted to lie, and many other sins as well. This is the sort of thing you should remember. It's dangerous. It grieves the heart of God, and you're committing adultery against the Lord. The larger catechism teaches us that when it comes to understanding God's will for us, uh, the scriptural principle that we must follow is where a duty is commanded, the contrary sin is forbidden, and where a sin is forbidden, the contrary duty is commanded. Uh, This is evident what we read in numerous places uh, that make this point. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 uh, Isaiah 53, excuse me, Isaiah 58, verse 13, Matthew 14, verses 4 through 6, and uh, from a comparison between Deuteronomy 6, 13, and Matthew 4, verses 9 and 10. If you want those verses, come up to me later. But the point is, it's a scriptural principle. I just want you to know it. The, uh, the Westminster authors didn't just come up with that because uh, they wanted to. Uh, now here, in the first commandment that we're looking at, we have a sin that is forbidden, having any other gods before the Lord God. Um, but implicit in this divine prohibition found in the first commandment is a corresponding duty. Uh, and that positive duty is, uh, is what constitutes my second point, and that is because the Lord is a jealous God, he requires you and me to love and serve him alone. What does it mean to love and serve God, the Lord God? Obviously, um, you could do this as easily as I can. It means to have him as the um, central focus of our lives. He is um, our. Uh, he is the one uh, who dominates uh, our thinking uh, through much of the day. Um, uh, and we are dominated by fond thoughts of him when we think of him. Um, to love and to serve him is to have him as the object uh, of our fondest affections. Uh, our greatest commitment is to be to him. That's what it means to love him. And it means that he has the great, a greater influence over our decisions and our thoughts that we have, or our decisions that we make, than anyone or anything else. Uh, he is the driving influencer in our life because we want that. We love him and we want that. And it means that he, more than anyone or anything else, is the one for whom we live more so than our children, more so than our spouse, uh, and one for whom we would be willing to die if it need be. That's what it means to love and serve God properly. And what does that look like, to have that love and service for God and that uh, mindset, if you will, and that commitment and that loyalty? Well, scripturally, and I'm not, we're not going to look at these scriptures, but uh, you, I'll read them off, so if for some reason you want them. But to have what that love and service looks like is it will cause us to fervently seek after him. Psalm 63, verses 1 and 2 speaks of that fervent seeking uh, that will um, 
be uh, be pursued by uh, one who loves the Lord. It will uh, show itself in a desire to worship Him uh, publicly, privately, in our family worship. We will not see that as uh, as a burden. Uh, sadly, we sometimes do. That's evil, uh, but it's a struggle for us at times. But we must strive to always want to worship Him, give Him His due. Um, and if we love Him and are trying to love Him more, we will try and want to worship Him more freely and more uh, delightfully. Uh, this To have such love and service will also cause us to want to meditate upon Him, uh, His attributes, uh, His Word with regularity. Psalm 66 uh, 63, 6. By the way, the previous one wanting to worship him was Psalm 63, uh, 5 and 6. Or four, uh, 3 through 5, rather. Uh, having a love for God will cause us to want to love and, as I already indicated, meditate upon his, his word, his law. Psalm 119, verse 97. It will cause us to, uh, it will give us a strong desire uh, to and motivation to do what pleases the Lord, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. Uh, and when we have a strong love and desire to serve the Lord, no other desire that we have will compare with our desire for God and his love, uh, most of the time at least. Psalm um, 73, uh, 25 and 26, Whom have I in heaven but thee, and besides thee I desire nothing on earth. This is how a love for God as our first love looks. And other things could be added to this list, of course. But um, those are a representative sampling of what Scripture teaches. So how do we apply this? Well, first of all, let me ask, how consistently do you, uh, or do rather, the attitudes and actions that I have just spoken of characterize your relationship with the Lord? If your answer is mine, my answer, not consistently enough. But do they at all? If they don't at all characterize your attitudes and actions, uh, something is very wrong. Uh, None of us do so perfectly, of course, or even close, but we do need to have a desire for God and and, uh, seek God in his word and in prayer and in worship and seek to uh, honor him and please him um, and strive to do that and fight the good fight uh, to some degree. If we're true Christians, we're going to do that. If we're walking with the Lord, I should say. To the extent that these attitudes and actions do not characterize our relationship with the Lord, we need to repent. We need to repent and seek God's pardon. Why does God require you and me to love and serve him alone? Why is he so jealous? Because he alone is God. That's why. There is no other God. Isaiah 44.6 teaches this. Isaiah 45.5 teaches this. He alone is God. There's no one else. There's no other creator. There's no other sustainer. There's no other um, judge. There's no other deity. And that means that he alone, because he's the only God, he alone is worthy to be the principal focus and love of the lives of his creatures, you and me. He alone. That's why. One of the reasons he uh, requires us to love and serve him. And then, 
Because, again, because he's jealous is the second really good reason to love and serve him and keep those false gods that we're tempted to bow down to at bay. He's jealous. He's jealous for your affections. He's jealous for your time. He's jealous for your commitment to the marriage, if I can put it that way. And he has no intention of sharing um, affections that rightly belong to him alone with anyone or anything else. We need to love our spouses, married folks, but not like we love the Lord. That's a tall, tall order. I just read that passage this morning about hating your children and your mother and father and so on. It's like, whoa, where's that come from? Grace, mercy, the Lord giving us strength uh, and changing our affections and causing us to love him more. Yes, we fall, all of us fall short, but that's the stand, that's what we're to strive for, is to, uh, to put God first in our decisions and our affections and our thoughts. And God is jealous for that affection, for those thoughts, for that commitment, that loyalty, that love. And we've all fallen short, folks. We've all fallen short. But we need to ask God for grace to love him more. Let's do that now in prayer. Lord, we, you are worthy. You are most, most worthy of our loyalty, our love, our affection, our, uh, our delight, um, our, our, uh, our service, our reverence, our awe. You're worthy of it all. Our gratitude. Oh, our gratitude. And Lord, all too often we don't give you anything close to what you deserve, or even what we can muster within ourselves. We don't give you close to the amount of great, uh, gratitude or affection or thought. Please forgive us, O oh Lord. Please forgive us for our wandering ways, our profligate ways. And please help us. <clears throat> please help us to see how beautiful you are to see how wonderful your grace and love for us is and how what an indescribably massive price you paid for us, uh, spiritual harlots. Please help us to grow in our love, grow in our gratitude, grow in our affection and and our fondness for time spent with you in your word and prayer and worship. And please help us for, to grow in our love for your law and your will. Make us more like Jesus, Lord. Only you can move the dial in that direction. Please do so this week. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Receive now God's blessing. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you all, both now and forevermore. Amen.